Alright everyone, welcome back to the Royville Movie House. We have just stepped out of the theater and all my popcorn is eaten. So let's get into our latest good movie, Vertigo. Alright, Vertigo was produced in 1958, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. It is number 9 on the American Film Institute Top 100 of All Time. It does star Jimmy Stewart as John Scotty Ferguson, Kim Novak as Madeline Elster slash Judy Barton, Barbara Bell Geddes as Midge Wood, and Tom Helmore as Gavin Elster. It is written by Alec Copel, Samuel Taylor uh, for the screenplay, and it is based on the novel, French novel, by the way, so forgive my butchering of this pronunciation, but Detra de Mort by Pierre Boileau and Thomas Nursejak. It was nominated for Best Art Direction and Set Decoration Black and White or Color. It did not get it for the Oscar there, and it was also nominated for Best Sound. All right, so let's get into it. So we're just going to start and dive right into the plot and then do characters after. Okay. Because uh, the plot... The plot is something. <laughs> the plot is the main thing, obviously. Um, it starts off with Jimmy Stewart's character, John, uh, as a police detective in a police pursuit across rooftops. Uh, the criminal is well ahead, jumping rooftop to rooftop, and uh, John and, and, and a uniformed officer are in pursuit. Something happens and John slips off one of the sloped roofs and is hanging by the gutter. His uh, parkour was not good. The uniformed officer comes back and somehow thinks that he's going to pull John up, even though he's not anchored to anything and ends up falling. And John gets to watch him fall to his death, which gives him a fear of heights. And every time he is high and looks down, he gets a sense of vertigo, which is actually pretty ingeniously shown in the movie as the floor basically rushing up at him of whatever he's at. The ground rushing up at him or whatever and then rushing back down. It's it's actually pretty dis discombobulating to the viewer. It, it does give a little bit of a sense of what he's supposed to be feeling. So this incident causes him to retire from the police force, even though he was on a trajectory to be chief of police of San Francisco. Or he wanted to be. That was his goal. So um, the other characters in the, uh, well, one of the other characters in the movie shows up at this point. Her name's Midgewood. It's an old friend of John's from college. They dated at one point and evidently were engaged at one point, but she broke off the engagement, but she doesn't date seriously anybody else. I don't know. There's a whole big thing. Are they together or not? I don't know. It was really weird. She's kept this torch for quite a while and she's just there. I'm not. He's, she's his sounding board for the most part. She knows people that he doesn't. He uses um, her knowledge to solve cases is what I kind of gathered. Okay. I when That's what I gathered. So Midge is there to kind of fill out the past of John's life. Um, then 
He gets a call shortly after this first talk with Midge, which is basically just about why did you retire? You should retire. Maybe you should go away. Maybe you should just embrace everything. And John's not doing anything. He's not embracing the fact that he's no longer a police officer. He's not happy about having retired, but he doesn't want to go back because he's got this condition now that he gets dizzy at heights. So, yeah. That's what that whole thing was. And he's a man of means. He has his own means, so he can do what he wants. We don't know what means those are, but... Yeah, it's never really clear, but it seems like he never has to work again. <laughs> That's kind of... But he was just a police detective. I don't know. Maybe his parents were rich. I don't know. I, he was He was also a lawyer. Oh, that's true. She did say hotshot lawyer who decided to become a police officer in order to become police chief right so anyway so enter gammon elster who is a college friend who needs john's help as a detective because he needs gammon needs john to follow his wife because he believes that his wife is being possessed by a ghost I'm not making a joke here. That's literally what he thinks is happening. Yes. That's what he says is happening. John tells him, I would make an appointment for your wife to see a psychologist and maybe one for you and starts to walk away. But Gavin talks him into just just watch her one day and, and just tell me, tell me where she goes. So John takes him up on that and follows her around. She goes to uh, a mission just outside of San Francisco to a graveyard, um, visits a graveyard of someone named Carlotta Valdez, who died in 1857. She goes to an art museum and stares at a painting for hours at a time of the lady named Carlotta Valdez, and she goes to a place called McKittrick. McKittrick. I don't know. I wrote it down. I just don't know how to pronounce it. Hotel. Um, it's a house that uh, a lover of Carlotta built for her. So obviously, it's Carlotta Valdez is the woman that is casting a shadow over this woman's life. The, the Madeline's life. Um, so he, John, is intrigued, follows her another day. She goes through it exactly the same way as she did before, except for this time she goes to Golden Gate Park and jumps into the bay. So John jumps in and rescues her and brings her back to his apartment because it's closer than her house to dry her up because the bay is cold and make sure she doesn't get pneumonia or whatever. And then she disappears after they discuss what happened. So she's a woman of mystery and married to an old college friend of his. And so he does some research into Carlotta, who was a showgirl back in the 1850s. Well, before the 1850s, because she died in 1857. But in the early 1800s, she was a showgirl in old San Francisco. A rich guy saw her, took her out, gave her a lot of money. She got pregnant, had a kid, and 
the rich guy took the kid because his wife couldn't have kids and discarded Carlotta altogether. Carlotta committed suicide because she went mad. At 26, which is the same age as Madeline, which is the whole thing. So, I don't know what else to say after that. Um, there's going to be spoilers pretty much from this point of the plot on. There's going to be huge spoilers because this movie, like the title, goes in various directions with little provocation and it... I hate to use Shyamalan Ding Dong as the uh, <laughs> as kind of the idea here, but talk about oh, what a twist is basically the rest of this movie. Yeah, for the most part. So the next time they're out and about, John and Madeline, they go about their business together rather than him following her. They go to Redwood National Park and she doesn't like it because she doesn't like the idea of dying. She has one of her spells, which basically when Carlotta quote unquote takes her over, she goes into like a fugue state and then becomes basically Carlotta through a trance. He pulls her out of it. Uh, They end up kissing, even though she's married to an old friend of his. They quickly fall in love, and after a couple days, uh, Midge sees it, gets a little annoyed. Um, However, not enough to not still care for John. Um, And then there's basically kind of this back and forth where he's trying to help Madeline until they get to... A pivotal scene where he takes her to an old mission where he's basically trying to convince her that she knows of this mission just because Madeline has been there before, not because Carlotta was there. But it turns out that she needs to go into the church. Has to. And he realizes too late after she runs off that there's a tower there. So he goes chasing after her and turns out, of course, she's climbing up the tower. And this is where his fear of heights comes back because he's chasing her up the stairs and can't make the last flight. And the next thing you know, she's jumped out the window and is broken on a roof that's like 10 feet below them. And dies. So there's a court case. With him being exonerated of any crime uh, because of his uh, agoraphobia. And his buddy from college says, hey man, I get it. It's cool. I'm just going to leave with all this loot now. I mean, all this money that I have because I am the sole surviving person related to her family and her family is uh shipbuilders so they're actually fairly rich yeah so he totally um says hey john if you have anything before i leave it's cool but i'm out i'm leaving town and at the time did not think that was sketchy at all i know but anyway that's neither here nor there well it is but you'll soon find out anyway next thing and 
the next part of the plot is John is hospitalized for melancholy, severe depression. Yeah, he's got some post-traumatic stress based off of everything that's just happened because, you know, he loved her. She died. She died because he couldn't get to her because of his vertigo. So he's basically, they kind of make me think that he's kind of gone catatonic for a while. Yes, uh, Mitch visits him and brings some music therapy stuff and talks to him, but he doesn't talk to her. He doesn't shake out of it. And the last we see of Midge is her talking to his doctor saying, well, there's one thing you don't know is he was in love with her and he still is. And she just walks away. And all I just kept thinking is poor Midge. Like she totally did not deserve any of this. Like she was just tossed to the side with, without even a second thought. Right. But I, you can't help who you fall in love with. I get it. But it still sucks. So, poor Mitch. Poor Mitch. But he comes out of his uh, catatonic state and moves back to San Francisco. He's still in his apartment. And he's wandering around the city. And he thinks he sees her everywhere. They go to Ernie's, which is the uh, restaurant that he first saw her at. He goes to the museum where the painting was. He goes to the mission. He goes everywhere. Just And he sees her, but then you realize basically as that person comes closer to him or whatever, it's someone totally different. Right. It's it's a blonde who happens to wear happens to be wearing a gray suit that looks similar to the one that she wore or whatever. Until one day he's outside of the florist that he first started trailing her uh, Madeline at. And he actually sees someone who doesn't appear to be changing. Like, it's not his imagination that she looks like Madeline. And he follows her back to to her hotel, her residence. She lives at, like, a boarding house slash hotel. Gets there, and this is Judy Barton, who is also played by Kim Novak. So, literally, she looks just like Madeline because she's played by the same actress. She has brunette hair and is... Instead of blonde, which Madeline had. Yes. And she's a shop she does her And she does her hair different. Yeah, she wears it down. Uh, and Madeline always wore it up in a sophisticated knot. Um, and she's a shop girl. Or something to that effect. And has a license that she's from Kansas. And she's lived in San Francisco for three years. At the address that she's at. So he asked her a bunch of uncomfortable questions. Which at the time you think, wow, this is really odd that she's being so cool with him and he's being super creepy. Because Madeline in the movie, the actress is 26 or 25, 26. And Madeline is pretty much said that in the movie she died at 26. Well, Jimmy Stewart in real life is 50. And it kind of seems like they're not shying away that he's an older guy. So this older guy comes and asks super creepy questions to this young girl in her little apartment by herself. And she's kind of aggressive, like, please go away. But then again, she's kind of cool with it. So I'm like, what the heck? I think that it was played off as she feels sorry for this guy. 
um, he said you could leave the door open. And she's like, okay, well, I can yell really loud. It's still creepy. Don't get me wrong. But I think that it was supposed to be played off as Judy has some sympathy for the stranger because something's up. So it comes to the, it comes out that she reminds him of Madeline. Well, he doesn't say Madeline, but she was like, "Okay, so I remind you of someone, and now you want to pick me up." She, what'd she do? Did she dump you? And he gets a look, and she says, "Oh, she's dead, isn't she?" And so after all of that, he says, "I want to take you out to dinner to make up for this inconvenience," and she says, "Okay." Um. And they start dating for an undetermined amount of time? Yeah. It seems to me like it's undetermined or it's like two days. It's one or the other. I don't know. I think it's a couple of weeks, probably a month or two at the most. It's very, it's short. And then John, Scotty, starts to have this weird thing that he needs her to look exactly like Madeline. So he takes her to a place where she can get this gray female suit um, that she can wear that looks exactly like Madeline's. And nothing else is going to be okay. And he's actually kind of rude with not only her, but the people that work there. Like, no, no, it has to be this one. It has to be this one. And then he well, goes and he... Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to move on from that. So if you have anything to say about that. Well, at, at this point, we, we skipped a very pivotal part and are telling it out of order. She wrote her note before this point because we knew that she was... Right. Well, yeah. At this point, we know that she was actually Madeline. We don't know how. We don't exactly know why. But we do. We, oh, we do? They showed us that scene? In the note, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's so, all at once. <laughs> so then let's huge, huge spoiler. This is the movie. Um, what's his name? Gavin. Gavin actually got this woman to help him in a plot to murder his wife. So when John, Jimmy Stewart's character, is following her, he is not actually following his wife. He's following this false representation of Madeline, which is... Judy. Judy. So, yeah. So in hindsight, that whole, I'm cool, it's cool, you didn't kill my wife, because I did, and I'm skipping town. See ya, got away with it. Everyone got away with it. Yeah. So now we know, and John is starting to figure this out. So, and I think because of that, he's getting a little bit more erratic. It's just too much. He sees too much. And he makes her dress like Madeline. He makes her change her hair so that it's blonde like Madeline's. He makes her hair... He makes her wear her hair like Madeline's. He gets there's a there's a very large argument about how she's supposed to wear her hair like that, and then it's kind of good for a moment. And then she puts on. And then she puts on jewelry that he remembers that was Madeline's, and at that point, I think he knows. He drives her out to the mission where Madeline... Returned to the scene of the crime. Where Madeline, quote, unquote, died. Yes. And, well, Madeline actually did die. Anyway, 
in the flashback scene as she's writing the note to John that she ends up tearing up. She actually is in love with John. There's a thing there. Um, and she wants him to love her for who she actually is. And she doesn't know whether to come clean or not because Gavin paid her a lot of money to pose as this woman <clears throat> and fool John into doing this. So she opts not to tell John and just hopes that John starts to see her for who she actually is. It doesn't really work out that way because no, he's just using her as a stand-in for Madeline in his crazed PTSD reaction. So once he figures out that Judy was actually Madeline and he's trying to figure out what actually happened... He brings her out to the mission, and they climb the, the tower. He goes full freak out. Yes. Like, he's, he is dragging her up to the scene of the crime. She's screaming and yelling, and he is basically not hearing it. He is telling her that we're going, dragging and pulling her all the way up there. And basically, at this point, we don't know what his purpose is, because he keeps saying, this is my second chance. This is my second chance to save her. But how is it his second chance to save her when it's likely in this state that he's just going to throw her out the window? Like, I don't... It, it was a very tense, tense scene. Yeah, it was. Um, they get to the top and he lays it all out for her. So... Knows exactly, basically kind of reviews the scene that we saw when we figured when we were told what actually happened he kind of goes over it kind of does a little detective thing and kind of goes over it in his mind talking to her about it telling her okay this is what happened oh okay well you must have been working with him okay this is and so well basically the murder scene as it was laid out in the flashback was that gavin was waiting for her at the top of the tower with his already dead wife that he had broken her neck and when she got to the top, knowing that John wasn't going to be able to make that last, if he made it to the last flight, he wasn't going to be able to make it to the top of the tower. He just, he knew it wasn't going to happen. Because of his agoraphobia. He, he um, throws his wife's body out of the tower wearing the same suit that Judy was wearing as Madeline. And they just stay at the top of the tower until everybody leaves. And then they walk away. Yeah, and they kind of hide out and drive back. Now, in Judy's, slightly in Judy's defense, because this whole thing, I don't care how much money a man pays you, like, to be able to pull this thing off, like, you kind of have to have some deceit in your bones. But in Judy's defense? Well, no, that's... deceitful? I, no, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Given that, ah. in her defense, she did try to stop it. But there was nothing at that point she could do. Madeline was already dead. The real Madeline was already dead. Mm. So she did scream, which was a big point of contention for John when they were at the top of the tower, when it was Judy and John at the top of the tower. Why did you scream? Why did you scream? And she's like, because I wanted to stop it. And he kept going back and forth. And anyway, so... It gets to a point where John's crazed behavior is basically at its height. And Judy is scared. And she's cowering near the window. And like an angel of death, <laughs> one of the nuns from the mission 
rises up the steps. I was like, this is kind of odd, but a really cool, like, visual. But it's almost like this dark figure just appears behind John and freaks her out, freaks Judy out. And she stumbles backwards and falls out the window. As the nun was coming up, and this is something that I thought was very clever, because it gave you a second to go, what is that? And then she spoke and said, I heard voices. Right. So you knew it was a person. You didn't necessarily, you know, connect necessarily that it was a nun. But in the crazed state that John had worked them both up as, I'm sure that that was not enough. Right. Um, It obviously wasn't enough. And that's where the movie ends, is with John on the top of the tower looking down. Yeah. That's it. Um, So, that's the plot. And I know we spent a little more time on it, but it's because it did twist and turn quite a bit. And I did want to, like, lay it out as much as we could. And actually, we did say a lot about the characters in our Mm -hmm. review of them. Is there anything, if you want to go through the main four characters, is there any little thing you want to add there's a just a few but nothing that would take any longer than a couple of minutes all right well so so john scotty was john scotty why was his nickname scotty when his name was john ferguson he liked drinking scotch it was weird anyway sorry that's not or he's a scotsman i don't know (laughs) it was very strange it wasn't really uh explained jimmy stewart i have to say is a much better actor than i ever gave him credit for because he was a jerk in this movie, and I never would have in a million years have thought that he could do that. I It's... Well, he wasn't a jerk jerk, but he was very aloof. And usually Jimmy Stewart plays a very warm character, like in most of the movies I've seen him in. And granted, that's like It's a Wonderful Life, and Harvey, and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. <laughs> Those are all... Him playing a down-home, small-town guy who's a little more. Harvey's, he's a little insane. But, so, kudos to Jimmy Stewart. Like, wow, that was, I believed him. Yeah, I thought he did really well. Jimmy Stewart's actually, especially when I was a kid, was one of my, is still one of my favorite actors, so... Kim Novak, actually, even give, given that she was so young, I think she did a really good job of playing two different characters. I know it was the same character, but two different characters. Like playing the high-class Madeline and kind of a lower Judy, desperate. Like, there was enough of a difference, not just in look, but in how she behaved. I thought she did a great mm. job. Um, which is amazing, given that she was really young, I yeah. mean, honestly, to play that character. Uh, Midge. Not I much just, really I can say about Midge. She I just, had a yeah. torch for Scotty that lasted way too long. Poor Midge. Um, Gavin was... And complete a-hole. <laughs> and you didn't really know because, until because in Gavin, hindsight. Yeah, because Gavin actually had, from the very beginning, he contacts Scotty with this idea in mind. He finds out through channels that he has this agoraphobia. So before he even contacts Scotty, he has this whole idea and plan to kill his wife and brings his college buddy, his college friend, into it knowing that he is going to set him up and he's good with it the whole time. 
Yes, it was insane. Because I think that he thought that he knew it's, it's actually acrophobia. Oh, acrophobia. I apologize. I was like, agoraphobia doesn't sound right, but it sounds close. <laughs> I no, I think agoraphobia is actually uh, closed in spaces. I apologize. Acrophobia. But, um, yeah, wow. I think that he did not think that anything would stick to John because he did have acrophobia and it was well documented. Now, the guy But he's was... still setting up his buddy. I oh, mean, yeah. Even if that... I mean, that wasn't foolproof. He knew full well what he was doing and what could have happened. Oh, no. I, I'm not saying that he's not a jerk. Not, like, not by any means. He's full-on a-hole. I'm with you. So, this movie, Vertigo, is a very good example of an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Which this is the first one I've seen, so... This is a moody movie. The soundtrack was very well written and very well teamed with the action on the screen. They did a really great job of the action fitting the story. Um, And I think there was, even despite the fact that we've seen movies that are right around this time... I think that the speed of the narrative and how fast the plot is laid out for us is a lot more modern than, say, Streetcar Named Desire, which is only a few years young. Like it, I think it was 1956 or 1954. This is 1958. So it's roughly in the same time period. But I think that the screenplay and the way that this is directed was a lot more modern in its storytelling. So I tend to enjoy things like Hitchcock. They're tense and sometimes a little scary, but it's mostly suspense and a little psychological playing with you. Um, so what did you think of your first Hitchcock experience? I, I thought it was really good. Um, I was at, there was actually some tense moments. Um, I think partly because of the way scenes were filmed, but I think also... A lot of the way the characters, the actors were interacting with each other because I thought Jimmy Stewart did a really good job of kind of playing that as things go along, he's getting more unhinged. Um, And I also thought that Kim Novak did a really good job, especially towards the end of trying to basically save her life. Um, I did not really like the, the twists and turns of this movie really hit me because I, once again, I didn't know what I was in for and I was like, okay, well, obviously I'm not, it's, it's a Hitchcock movie. Maybe he's supernatural stuff. I, like I said, first Hitchcock movie, not really sure. Then I'm like, okay. And then as the movie goes along, okay, it's not. It's not anything to do with the supernatural. So what's the hook? What What is actually going on? Is she just having some kind of mental breakdown or what? Um, and not thinking anything that her husband is the bad guy. So I'm like, okay, so what's going on with her? What's going on with her? And then all of the sudden she dies. And I actually 
I don't know if Ellen remembers this, I paused the movie to see how much more of the movie there was. And there was like half of the movie left. I'm like, what is going on here? At one point, at one point, it was toward the end, but at one point he was like, seriously, this is where they're ending it? I think it was at the hospital or something afterwards. Right, yeah, yeah. And so I thought that maybe they were ending it with him just being catatonic and not really figuring out what happened. And then he sees Judy, and then I'm like, okay, what's going on with that? And then we find out that it was all a setup. And I'm like, seriously? It was all, like, mind blown that (laughs) this turn happened. I'm like, okay. And then it kept going, and then you get to the last scene where she's basically fighting for her life, and he is gone at this point. He is unhinged, trying to basically save himself, save his sanity. And I was I was all in at that point. I thought that this movie, even with the twists and turns, was really well done. I wanted to see what was going on. I was kind of sad, actually, at the end that it just kind of stopped because I would have liked to see that. And we, and in a modern movie, I think we would have gotten that last scene, that kind of wrap-up epilogue scene with how Scotty is faring now, so to speak. But it just stops. And you're, like, left with, how is this resolved? Like, and it's not really resolved, yeah. in my opinion. No, not really. Um, it is of a type of movie uh, that doesn't always end with a nice, neat bow on it. And for American audiences, sometimes, sometimes that's just not the way that people want to see it. Like, you wanted that scene, but you didn't get it. Right. Um, because he was so unhinged, I imagine he's probably back in the hospital. But that's just what I imagine. That's not what actually... Maybe if I read this book, I'd know a little bit more. Because that's another thing that Hitchcock does like to do is is give you the ambiguous ending. Whether the the work of literature that it's based on is warrants that or not. Um, So I don't know anything about the novel that this is based on. It's a French novel, but other than that, I don't know anything about it. Um... So, I'm going to ask you the typical series of questions. Okay, I'll try to answer them. So, you liked it? I did. I liked it a lot. But once again, I'm a huge Jimmy Stewart fan. So, it was kind of nice. Actually, I've seen the movies and a couple of the war movies that Jimmy Stewart's been in. Um, Other than that, I really haven't seen him in this kind of role. Uh, I think the other Hitchcock... Jimmy Stewart movie. Rear Window. Rear Window. Is that on our list there? Yes. So uh, North I'll, by Northwest is the only one we're not going to cover. Okay. So Rear Window mm-hmm. um, is also on our list to watch. So that will be cool to see him in a role like this again. Um, but I thought he did a great job. I thought the not only his acting, but everybody else's acting was on par. And... I thoroughly enjoyed this movie, even with the twists and the turns, because I think the movie is aptly named. 
we made a joke as we were watching it how why is it called vertigo because he had vertigo like once in the movie and then you never really go back to it again well he does have it a few more times in the movie but i think vertigo is an apt name for this film because you don't know where you're looking yeah, you're off. Movie. You're off balance. Yeah, you are off balance through this movie, trying to figure out what's going on. And for that, being a like a Hitchcock movie, um, that style I thought was really interesting. And you? Oh, I, yeah. I this is the first time I'm watching Vertigo. It's not the first time me I'm watching a Hitchcock movie, but it is the first time I watched Vertigo, and. It is, it is a really good piece of work that demonstrates the. Alfred Hitchcock directed so many movies, and so many of his movies are on this this top one hundred list that I'd almost call it a genre in and of itself. So this is a very good example of the Hitchcock style, and most of the other movies that we're going to watch that are directed by him, like Rear Window and Psycho. All have the same expertise in making making the mood fit and the the music and the way things are shot and the way things are directed. So this is a Vertigo has everything that Hitchcock uses. All of the high points of his style are all in it. So I did. I did like that. I always have liked that. I like moody movies. Noir movies are some of my favorites. Um, but this isn't a noir movie, but I'm just using that as an example. Noir is a mood. Uh, Hitchcock is a mood. Like, there's just no two ways about that. So, yes, I did enjoy it. So, this is not just in the top 50. This is in the top 10 of all time. This is number nine. So do you think that this deserves to be this high? Or are we still a little early on our viewing to really I make think, that determination? Yeah, I think we're still a little early on our viewing to make that determination. I mean, I can kind of see being so... See, I can't even say... I think you should ask me that question again after we've seen two more Hitchcock films. Okay. Because... To me, first of all, I can't say, well, of Hitchcock films, this is a seminal release because it hits all of the Hitchcock kind of tropes. Because I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, is it a good movie? Yes. I think it's a great movie. Um, I do believe it should be based off of, I guess, kind of that suspense genre. Uh, I believe it should be in the top, not 100, if not top 50. Um, however, this is like our fifth review of the best movies of all time. So I think for myself, it's still a little still premature. Early. Yeah. We might have to do kind of a follow up to see what you think after we get through all of them yeah. or even half of them just to, right, right. Once you get your footing. And I must say that I'm kind of biased because I'm a huge Jimmy Stewart fan. If I haven't said that like five times already. <laughs> it's a fair enough thing. I mean, it's a really good performance by him. And it's not his usual, like I said, nice guy performance. He's not a bumbling nice guy. He doesn't do his Jimmy Stewart stutter. Or I, I don't know how. There was a couple times that I 
kind of felt the Jimmy Stewart's. I don't know the stammer. Starting, I... yeah, something like that, starting to go, but no, he barely did that at all in this movie, which is which is interesting because I think it makes me appreciate now in some of his war movies though too he doesn't really have the stutter so I think I've maybe it was kind of a direction or a character trait he took in some of his movies like his earnest characters when they're being earnest right they're... right and I'm not saying that he didn't have to do it or, or but it makes me definitely feel a little bit more that Jimmy Stewart was acting more in say uh, it's a Wonderful Life, as opposed to him not him doing a stutter there and not doing a stutter here. So, like, it's affected. It's yes, not, yes. It's not part of his normal yeah. speech. Now, he might have it, but it's not as exaggerated as it okay. was in, like, one of those movies. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I... I think I agree. I'm going to probably continue to ask this question because there might be some movie that comes up that you're like, yes, this should be number one. <laughs> you know, I don't know. This should be like Citizen Kane <laughs> level awesome. But um, I, I'll, I'll let you defer until we get some more. But I'm still going to ask it every time we record. So would you recommend? Oh, yeah, I definitely recommend, especially if somebody is uh, interested in suspense movies. Um, or movies, now granted, listening to our review, um, they'll know the twist, but if you're interested in suspense movies, thriller movies, movies with a twist, um, or movies like Ellen's Ed, kind of with that noir kind of like... It's a like mood. mood uh, films, I would highly recommend this movie. Highly recommend this movie. All right. So that's all I have to say, aside from... Coming soon to the Royville Movie House, we have Teenage Zombies, also from 1959, so one year after this one. Oh, well, I'm sure that's going to be just great. So, um, that being said, uh, it looks like they are lighting the lamps on the streets of Royville, so I'm going to go lasso the moon for Ellen, (laughs) and we will see you next time. Good night, everyone. Night.